Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Anam Anjum. And I'm your co-host and producer, Scott Walters. Scott, what does social work mean to you? You know, that's a good question. I know that it works with a lot of people in a lot of communities, and I know it does a lot for society. But to be totally honest with you, I don't entirely really know a ton about what social work is and how it plays out. Honestly, same. And I'm so glad that today we have a guest that can tell us more about it. So please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Bansi. Uh, I am in my Master's of Social Work program at King's University. Um, which is the graduate program that's offered at Western in awesome. my second year. That's great. Okay. Um, could you provide an overview of your graduate program, just a bit more in detail? For sure. So the graduate program is is an affiliate of Western University, so the grad school expectations are set by Western University, right. but the course itself is taught by King's University College. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a two-year MSW program, so MSW stands for Master's in Social Work. Right. So what happens is that in your first year, kind of the program expectations are that we get courses on various aspects of social work, and then alongside we get one placement. So and then the expectation is to do 450 hours each year. Right. So I had one placement last year. Wow. And then that went from March to June. Nice. Um, And then no, wait, sorry, June, January <laughs> to June. Nice. And then my the placement this year is from September to March. Okay, awesome. Could I ask you a bit more about your courses that you've been taking? For sure. So the structure itself is, like, it's a structured program, so it's not that we get a lot of, like, independence to, to choose courses, at least in the first year. The courses are based on, like, practices, so, like, how to conduct counseling, because it's, again, the, the program is a direct practice course, so oftentimes social work, when we look at graduate programs, there's, like, direct practice-based, thesis-based, things like that with the way the program is the first year of the program is very structured so you don't get a lot of independence to choose the courses the syllabus is kind of outlined for us so in my first year uh, first term in particular I had courses on um, how to do direct practice what are the ethics um, what does it mean to work in a multidisciplinary setting and critical reflection practices on that which is something we're doing right now and then how to do administrative and supervision and things like that so those are kind of the stream it's it's with the way the social work profession is it's because it's so multidisciplinary and it's so broad our courses are kind of giving us insights into little bits Mm. of everything so that's very interesting that is very interesting you know something i just want to ask real quick is you say you're over there at king's college Mm -hmm. We're here based at the main Western College right now. I'm just curious, how is it over at King's? It's it's really great. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely smaller than, I think, Western main campus, uh, for sure. And I think there's perks to that, to be honest, mm-hmm. as well, because it's the, the community itself is very small. Mm-hmm. You find that certain aspects to, like, you don't have to wait as much for certain things. Right. Um, now, granted that our program is also relatively small, so it also there's also advantages with that, but I, I think many grad school programs are very structured in a, to be a small population, so... I've heard it's a beautiful campus. Oh, as well. it's 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 very beautiful. I've actually never been there, but that's I, I would recommend. I need you to go that. now. I definitely need to. Um, so is your placement like also near like um, King's campus? So with placement, it's kind of like a matching process. So mm-hmm. our field coordinator and our program coordinators kind of take the lead on that. 
So what we do is um, we kind of complete, we present our resume, we complete this document that they provide us with what are our expectations with regards to placement. And then based on that, they'll send our resumes over to practices right. within London or if you have like certain um, preferences on like if you have a vehicle or you want to practice or like you want to find a placement in Waterloo or like Stratford or something nearby yeah. relatively close to London um, they kind of keep that in mind and then based on that they match you mm-hmm. so if I was to talk about my placement last year it was a program that King's actually created amidst pe- the pandemic called the SAFE program so I was doing uh, remote counseling for the wow. six months that I got to do my mm-hmm. placement and then this year I got placed at a community organization in London called Family Services Thames Valley. So there I'm a student counselor. Uh, so that's about 30, 35 minutes of a commute. So okay. you kind of get to do yeah. a little bit of both. That's great. Yeah. So you're a social worker or a social worker in training and a psychotherapist. How would you divide those roles in the terms of your work? So the word psychotherapist, it, it's it's a governing word so it, it's sorry it's a licensing word so social workers also have the capacity to call themselves a psychotherapist not mm-hmm. every social worker calls themselves a psychotherapist because many social workers don't want to do counseling as their main role right many social workers want to go into the role of advocacy so in that sense they may not want to take on the psychotherapist title mm-hmm. whereas in my case because I like to do counseling I do take I would once I do get licensed <laughs> granted because I, I do see. not have a license <laughs> yeah. yet um, I would take on the psychotherapist oh. title along with the social worker so it would be psychotherapist comma social worker I right. see Wow. And what made you want to pursue a career in social work and becoming a psychotherapist? Well, I think it was uh, my interest in psychology. I think (laughs) watching like criminal based shows. (laughs) It's it's always the shows. It's always the shows, uh, which just made me really interested in like thinking about like why the mind works the way it does. And like what about the mind and like why do people like act in a certain way and kind of just the very... You know, mm-hmm. psychology rooted based interest. And then uh, in my undergrad, I took, I did a double major in psychology and biology. And mm-hmm. so because of that, I think I became even more interested in taking on the psychology route. And then when I was, um, and then I had like certain experiences, which included like me working at um, like private practices or like a non for profit organization before getting accepted in at Western. Um, I that just became like even more clear that this like counseling was the route I wanted to take on because counseling also involves you having to there's like an emphasis or at least on my end the way I kind of see it is that I kind of get to enact those similar like interests in that sense yeah um but in the in the help in the in the way of like I get to support someone in need and I get to do that oh that's so nice (laughs) (laughs) wow um so was there ever any like pivotal moment that made you realize this is the career because there's so many careers that like psychology could work into but was there ever a time that you were like okay no it has to be social work I think yes in the sense of I think the most pivotal moment was when I started working at the non-for-profit I was working in the role of a career counselor so again it wasn't like clinical counseling per se but it was the in the the route of career counseling and when I was working in the private practice I kind of got to see 
both like the counseling clinicians, uh, like sorry, the psychotherapist clinicians who were who might have done like a more counseling based graduate program. And then I got to see social workers in action as well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of noticed how social workers get to wear multiple hats. And I personally find this. I yeah. hope that it, this doesn't bring objections to anybody <laughs> else who's listening. But this is my view that I think social worker allows there you to have a lot of more a lot more independence mm-hmm. with choosing how it is you want to go about it. I think counseling also offers a really great route, and I think it's really a great program at Western. But I think with social work, you get a lot more. I think independence of choosing how it is you want to practice that profession, and I think. I was in the midst, I graduated in the midst of COVID and, right. and, and, and it was in like amidst all of those. And then I also wanted to keep myself open to my career interest in that I want to be able to wear multiple hats as a social worker. And I know, I think social workers often, um, the profession itself gets very, it's seen with a very narrow lens of like social workers are yeah. only in the community sense providing support and social right. workers so much more beyond that. Oh. And so, yeah. That's great. So having worked in the mental health field with both private industry and the nonprofit sector, how would you characterize the differences in terms of how you work with people in those environments? And what lessons do you draw from those experiences moving forward in your work? Um, Okay, so when I was working in the private practice, A, I was working in the role of an intake coordinator. So I wasn't really, I wasn't in the role of a social worker Mm -hmm. or a counselor because again, I couldn't, I I didn't carry the licenses for that. Um, so in that, I think one of the key things that I noticed was how it, private practices in general have a very profitable model. They work with that aspect, right? So the fees and things like that are substantially high, mm-hmm. where at least where I was working. Um, and so I noticed how despite that, the need for support was paramount. Right. especially in the midst of COVID. And because I was working in COVID, I, I saw the impact of what COVID was bringing in and just the need for support in, and, mm-hmm. and just with the way the policies in Ontario were setting out with regards to mental health um, at the time, yeah. you know, I got to see that. And then when I was working in the non-for-profit, what I also noticed was, again, that same need was there. Mm-hmm. But then I got to see how different aspects of the community. So for instance, like, um, the Ontario Works program or the ODSP program that kind of provides clients um, or need like additional mm-hmm. support with income and things like that. I kind of got to see how counseling doesn't ha- necessarily have to be coming from like if someone's struggling with anxiety or depression, but counseling can be beyond like it can. There's right. multiple aspects to counseling. Yeah. Does that? No, sense? it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, I want you to expand a bit more about like during COVID, your experience, like, do you think that your approach to um, helping individuals combat some sort of mental health issue has evolved? Like, do you think that you see things through a different lens now? I think for sure. I think when I think of, I think when we think of COVID in general, Mm -hmm. now that we've come out, and to be honest, I think we're still grasping in terms of coming out of it. And I think there are still things that are ongoing. I think I see mental health, not just it being like, binary approach whereas it's it's more on a spectrum right Mm so many times I've heard different politicians or different you know various influencers kind of having this idea that oh mental health is just you know struggling folks who are struggling with anxiety or depression and and it's and it's so much beyond and it's so much more than that oftentimes there's multiple layers that are you know resulting in that person having those mental health struggles 
And oftentimes, I think in the community, we tend to forget, and this is where the social work lens comes in, it's that there's so much more beyond than that person, looking at the community, looking at their family dynamics, looking at the structure of where they are in the community. So again, bringing yeah. that community piece into yeah. it, like, so that, you know, the lack of income, the lack of employment, the lack of support, you know, from community programs is what's probably leading to that client ha- struggling with anxiety yeah. or struggling with depression. And I think um, we also, I think, in the midst of COVID, really characterized mental health with mm-hmm. that person. So it's like, person A has anxiety. It's like, Bob with anxiety. And it's and it's not <laughs> like that, right? Like yeah, the person yeah, is beyond yeah. their mental of course. health. Piece. Yeah, of course. And so I think with COVID, what I tend, I realized, or at least I recognized, was the fact that A, a person is just, they can't be defined by their mental health. Yeah. And there's a lot more need. And I think mental health, like, sorry, I think COVID really recognized yeah. that because oftentimes critiques or individuals who are yeah. criticizing mental health and criticizing, oh, like counseling is a joke or yeah. just talking about your feelings. Like, oh. what is that? Like that really, yeah. you know, popular phrase. Of course. Um, you know, you kind of, I, at least I, in my context and, and from the culture, yeah. um, like if I consider my cultural lens, yeah. I think, especially in my culture, I got to see how like, even there was a recognition of like, yes, like mental health is important. Yeah. And talking to someone does help. Yeah. No, I think the cultural lens is so important because I do think that certain communities and cultures kind of like are a little bit more dismissive related to mental health than others. And have you ever witnessed that? Like even working with certain individuals from different groups, like is it hard to work with that? Um, because they come from their own background, right? Like, and it's hard to um, understand that, but that's their story. Like, how do you go about that situation? I think, yes. I think, again, this is where, again, I feel like, I don't know necessarily know if this is like purely social work. I'm yeah. sure counselor, ca- like course. folks in the counseling yeah. program also get told this, but um, it, again, it's in social work, like you're kind of seeing not just the client, but them as a whole right like so again the community piece so like to what you said of course there's like many cultures and many and 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 i wouldn't necessarily characterize one particular culture to that like i think there's folks within a culture that really emphasize that so i wouldn't necessarily like categorize culture a as like being against (laughs) mental health and culture b like not that but i would say like again based on my experiences yes i have seen um, many friends, to be mm-hmm. really honest, and, and, and colleagues who have struggled with mental health and not being able to vouch for that, the fact that they need that mental yeah. health support because of the um, family that they're in and, yeah. and just regards to like, the, just with regard with it being again, a disregard, yeah. right? Like mental health is like, you can't like go get a job, like, yeah. you know, then yeah, you'll stop yeah, yeah. being <laughs> depressed, you know, like again, yeah, it's, it's extremely problematic. Yeah. And I think if that gets perpetuated within a culture, which is often the case, um, many individuals then become very ingrained in mm-hmm. that and then based on that what tends to happen is that individuals who may even need the support because they don't have that support system at home for instance again I'm very like again making this very like structured but of yeah, I'm sure no. it's beyond that but it is, yeah, yeah. Um, I think what then tends to happen is that then that individual won't reach out for mental health and then they they continue to struggle and then yeah. oftentimes what that can lead into is them also having negative um views on mental health supports in general when in when in fact it's kind of that they needed it at yeah. a certain time and they didn't get that and so yeah that's, yeah. that's great Nancy you just mentioned the holistic aspect so I know that you are interested in the holistic approach that social work provides can you explain what you mean what that means to you and how this applies to your work and your future goals or your personal mission in social work <laughs> 
I don't necessarily know if I have like a personal mission laid out because I'm still in my final year. So I, sure. I, I feel like hopefully by June of next year, I have like a like a holistic or like mm-hmm. like a like a action that I want to kind of take on. But I think when I say holistic piece, it's just about recognizing that a as a social worker, I am not the expert in the room. When I when even if that's me doing a counseling one on one or whether it, whichever practice I'm in, yeah. right. So even if that's in a community context, right. Again, social work involves you working with someone, whether it's in the aspect of counseling, whether that's in the aspect of advocacy, whether that's in the aspect of just um, providing support or being in a managerial like you know kind of position. Again, it's it, your the involvement is you working with someone. So that holistic piece has to kind of for me at least the way I see holistic is just the me recognizing that A I'm not the expert, which then allows me to let the client be the expert, which then allows me to kind of consider the client not just like consider them as a whole, right? Like consider the context of where they're mm-hmm. coming from and then also being able to be able to like be okay if I'm not like if I'm making a mistake or if I and, and allows me to not make assumptions because I think oftentimes what tends to happen is that the minute you start making assumptions, at least I think you put yourself being the expert, right? Yeah. Um, and me being holistic is just kind of keeping in mind that A, I get to wear multiple hats. So even in the aspect of counseling, rather than kind of using one particular modality, mm-hmm. I kind of prefer to use various elements of, of different modalities to, mm-hmm. and again base it on based on what the client's needs are and what kind of support I can provide. Wow. <laughs> that was so powerful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so just talking about your like holistic approach and stuff, do you have any sort of like long-term goals within your career? Like I'm sure like you're not even done your program. I understand that, but I'm <laughs> sure you can like look through and be like, okay, I think I want to achieve this some, somewhere down the line. Okay, so like in terms of like where I want to practice yeah. and things like that, um, I think a counseling has definitely been a part of my placement and mm-hmm. and what with what I'm geared towards within the social work practice. So I think I'm definitely keen on keeping that. Having said that, uh, in terms of like where exactly I want to work, I'm I'm open, but I am like I do have specific like in terms of like I want to be able to work in a hospital setting or a private practice. Mm-hmm. Now knowing what I've seen in private practice. May hopefully one day open up my own private practice, but that's like years <laughs> yes, down the road, um, because again, I don't have the experience or the expertise to kind of right. set up set that whole thing up. But hopefully, work in a setting where I can I I'm recognized as a social worker. So mm-hmm. again, that being a hospital setting or a private practice. Are there particular aspects or areas of psychotherapy and social work that interest you the most? Particular disciplines or focus. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, well, in terms of like population, I could say like I really love working with kids and youth. Uh, so right now I do have, I, I know in my last year's placement, I did have quite a lot of opportunities to work with youth and kids. Mm-hmm. In my current placement, I don't at the moment. I do just have a few youth clients. Um, but hopefully that gets expanded in the next half of my placement. Nice. Um but yes, I do prefer to work with kids and uh, youth just because I feel like I can resonate them with a little bit more easily. Not to say that I don't prefer working <laughs> with adults, but I just have like that's that's an area of interest and a, and a preference for me. Right. Uh, with regards to like a modality, which would be like the type of way you would conduct the therapy. Yeah. Um, I think also this is a really big piece we get told in social work that beyond the modality it's about being genuine Mm -hmm. so forming that connection so building rapport right so those like critical aspects of being a counselor being a therapist that's more important than it is the particular modality 
having said that there's obviously quite like there's new modalities coming out every year there's like infinite research wow. kind of on that sense but i personally gravitate towards doing cognitive behavioral therapy so that's cbt right and then incorporating a narrative lens so again that would be like letting like talking about the story that the client has and then again let, helping the client analyze their own story and then seeing like do you notice you know x y and z in that storyline and is it and are they your words or mm -hmm. someone else's words kind mm. of piece wow yeah <laughs> That's particularly interesting to me that are they your words or someone else's well, words? Yeah. Are you and able to expand on that yeah, just a little more? For sure. But again, like I will preface by saying that I don't know all it is. I know about of narrative. Course. Of course. So um, I think narrative is just about, again, keeping in mind that everyone has a story. Mm -hmm. If we were to kind of use it as an example purposes, let's say if you struggled, if you're struggling with um, like you know, with self-esteem. Mm -hmm. um, if you've been throughout your childhood and throughout your adolescent lifestyle um, told that, you know, you are not the best and maybe in high school, like you've had certain difficult experiences. So if that's bullying or uh, like among other things, mm -hmm. you kind of ingrain that story in your head of like, yes, I am not the best, wow. right? So like that piece yeah. and then the narrative. Yeah. So using a narrative lens, what it would do is it would help the client kind of, you would use that kind of particular type of questioning to understand like, okay, like where is this coming from? And then like, okay, like who's saying this? Like when were you told this? Mm -hmm. And under what scenario, like what circumstances made you think like this? Right. And then do you notice how like when this happens, you think like this? And wow. it's kind of, again, like letting the client be the expert, letting them recognize that or having yeah. letting them have the aha moment. <laughs> um, and then kind of using that to then see like what it is that the client wants to do with that. Mm -hmm. So that would be like very specifically narrative. Right, and then yes. CBT would be like, CBT, the way it works or the framework around CBT is that thinking, emotions, and behaviors are linked. Mm -hmm. So the way you think about something is the way you feel about something. Therefore, that's going to be the way you behave towards that item. Right. So like those three things are related. So it's very cognitive. It's, mm -hmm. It makes the person be the main focus yeah. versus narrative kind of brings, again, a holistic, like the story piece. So trying to find a way to yeah. bring both of them oh in is a little bit uh, new. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's what I'm learning in my placement with right. my supervisor. So. Cool. Wow, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> um, so in your placements, have you gotten the opportunity to work with kids and actually like practice these things? So in my placement last year, um, because it was my first placement, I wouldn't necessarily say I had was like using both of those. Right. Because yes. again, I'm like, again, <laughs> placement involves a lot of self-learning. Of course. And those pieces, right? So you're learning, you're talking with your supervisor, all of those things are happening. Yeah. So having said that, um, at the time, yes, I would now if I kind of sit back and critically reflect and see like you know what kind of modality I was using at mm -hmm. the time I would say I was definitely using a lot more CBT yeah. but when you're talking to kids versus yeah. when you're talking to adults the language changes drastically so with kids because I like to work with kids I mm -hmm. also don't have a lot of experience so it's also me learning a lot of those things right um, with this year and because now the placement is an advanced placement in comparison to last year's placement um, this year, of course, I'm getting, I'm already learning like so many oh my things. Gosh, can't so um, January onwards, hopefully, I, I, I've been able to shadow some of my colleagues in my placement and in terms of how they work with kids, which is really great because certain ways great you talk to kids, yeah. certain concepts and things like that, kids, again, don't have the vocab, right? Again, depending on their age and they don't have enough. Um, their frontal lobe hasn't developed enough to like have all of those words and phrases like to know that like 
like oh I feel like this because I'm sad but like what is sad to, mm-hmm. to like a 10 year old versus like a 40 year old right yeah. like that's very different so it's like you have to find ways to get the kid to talk and, and how do you do about it so yeah that's so cool oh my gosh it's, it's very cool I will say it's, it's, it's very cool <laughs> so in addition to being your program you're also a student therapist and I know you've talked about your placements, placements but can you talk a little bit into what that means? Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean in your clinical setting to be a student therapist? And how directly are you able to be using what you're learning in your master's program in that position? So um, with regards to me being a student therapist, what that means is that, A, I do get to see clients, but they are foretold that, A, like when they are engaged in the intake process, at least this is how it goes in my placement. I can't speak about every single placement that exists. And, yeah. you know, like that's very <laughs> yeah. arbitrary. Yeah. But um, when I talk about my placement in particular, when the when the intake process is happening, the clients are asked, oh, like, are you comfortable to work with a student? And then, you know, the intake is done where they kind of, you know, briefly share like what it is they're coming in for, like why are they seeking counseling support? And then based on that, if, if, if the issue that the client is struggling with is ex- like it's very intense, then they won't pair us with the, uh, with us because again, we're still students. Mm-hmm. They wanna kind of make sure that we're comfortable first and then kind of introduce us to like different heavier topics, maybe associated with trauma, for instance. Um, so that's the process of it. And then they're told if they wanna work with the student. So let's say if the client says, yes, like I'm okay to work with a the student, they get paired, they like are given to my caseload yeah. and then you know, in the first session, right, we go over all the eligibility and the requirements like the practice and the focus and they get to sign a con- like two different consent forms, one being my student, mm-hmm. like that, oh, you know, you recognize that I'm a student. And then right. I also have ongoing supervision from my supervisor who is the registered social worker. So with regards to that competency piece, right. it's always there so that, you know, they're making sure like we're adhering to our college like Ontario's College of Social Workers and Social Service Workers practice because again they have strict guidelines on like how can we make sure that we're not violating any ethics or Mm -hmm. any values when we're doing this support because again it's it's so paramount and it's so critical like we don't want someone who's not doing a good job or not a good job to have such an influence on someone who's in need so yeah I think that's kind of that piece that that's fair how does a kid consent to something like this? I just don't know how that go- happens. If I'm being honest, like, is the parent also involved, and uh, is there somebody else also consenting to this? So when it's when a when the client is a kid, mm-hmm. uh, there's different. Again, with our practice, it it looks very different, right? So right. when it's a kid, or when it, or when it's a youth. So mm. in general, with kids, the way it is that you need to get parental consent, right? So now then it, the situation becomes even more. Uh, maybe a little bit I don't want to say difficult but it becomes a little bit all intense when the parents are not together for instance Mm. or they're separated then you again have to get consent from both parents right and if there is like a custody agreement then we we need that custody agreement again like because obviously kids are right it's kind of that piece where like if you go to a doctor's office right what's the expectation when the kid is coming in you need consent so kind of you're following that same protocol and guidelines but uh, for the first session usually with kids the first session is always with the parents right so that you kind of get an understanding of okay like what it is you know how it is like with the kid Mm -hmm. and you know the parents' expectations with regards to counseling and that kind of stuff and then the ongoing sessions are with kids parents can be in the room if they choose to uh not they don't have to be always again it's it's really it's very it's up to the client and 
Okay. My gosh. I just want to zoom out from just your practice right now and ask you if you have any advice for anyone wanting to go into social work and pursuing a career as a psychotherapist. For sure. I think number one with grad school in general, do your research. Mm -hmm. I think that often tends to get ignored, especially in undergrad. Like, yes, I want to go into counseling. I'm just going to apply to the program that's closest to me or like, you know, whatever the case is do your research. It's very important for you to know if you're going into a thesis-based program or a direct practice. If you want to be able to practice, then a direct practice program is maybe a a bit more beneficial. Versus if you prefer to doing a thesis, maybe later on you want to consider doing a PhD, then the thesis route might be a little bit more suited, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's such solid Mm -hmm. advice. Okay. We are just about out of time. Thanks so much for coming on, Bansi. You're welcome. Um, If anyone wants to learn more about your research, is there a website they can go to, email they can reach you at, or do you have any social media that you would like to share? For sure. I have my LinkedIn, which is really great. Uh, I do have my Instagram as well, but that's not necessarily professional. (laughs) But yeah, sure, if you want to be friends or so. Okay, so we'll put that in today's episode description. Um, This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Anam Anjum, and my co-host and the producer is Scott Walters. We've been speaking to Bansi Javia about her program. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.